this. Yes, Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. Welcome to Blockbuster Film School, the world's greatest and cheapest film school. I'm your host, Alex Bonner, with the more talented and handsomer host, Nicholas Souter. That's your name! Yeah. Also, though, that's just up for debate whether that's you're true. more talented. You are much more talented. We both have our shirts off, and we're flexing. It's very hot in this we're room. We're ripped. We're extremely ripped. Yes. Uh, I've been doing- I am hair-free from the neck down. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of squats. Well, team, here's how it's going to go. We are going to talk to you today about a man, a legend, a myth, a person close to our hearts. His name is Steve Buscemi. Woo! And if you don't know who Steve Buscemi is, then Jesus Christ, man. And your life is empty. <laughs> you are dead inside. Empty. I feel real bad for you. He pronounced his name Steve Buscemi his entire childhood because he, so he went to Sicily. So he went to Sicily. And thought like, he's been saying his name wrong. And they were like, are you doing it wrong? And he was like, uh... <laughs> Oh, no. I apologize to the other Italian listeners besides my family right now. <laughs> listen, that was a pitch perfect Sicilian accent. They all sound like they're from Long Island. Hey, listen, Buscemi, what's wrong with you? Cut all this You have out. no idea Cut what you're all do- the- You're hey, going to leave hey, it, hey. aren't you? Of course. This is solid gold. Anyways, let's talk about Steve. Yeah, honestly, he's one of my favorite actors. I love I, him. I've, Real fast, as far as I was out there, Yeah. the first cat I ever had, I named him Buscemi. Aww. Yeah, and then you named other cats after Buscemi after that one died. The other ones were named Goodman, and then the last cat was named um, Fran Dresser too. <laughs> did they I hated that? Cat. Did the cat die in a wood chipper? No, it died from diabetes. Shouldn't have gotten greedy. She just ran off with the money. But Stephen Vincent Buscemi was born December thirteenth, Friday the thirteenth. Kill, kill for me, Jason. Uh, 1957 in Brooklyn, wah, 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 New York. You can't afford to live there now. And his father was Streets and Sands, which is a fancy way of saying a garbage man. Yeah. His mother was a hostess <laughs> at a restaurant inside of a motel. Yeah. Howard Johnson's. Howard Johnson's. So he came from elite level money. Yeah. He is a lot like a lot of famous actors in that his parents were super wealthy, as you can tell. But Steve worked his way up. And is now the most famous actor in the entire world, I think. I think so. I, I think he's my favorite. You know what's crazy? He's like, Steve Buscemi's like an A-list actor at this point. He is. He went from being a character actor to being truly somebody who... He transcended everything. Absolutely. He's literally a plot point in Fargo was he's funny looking and it didn't matter. And he refused dentists to fix his teeth. Yeah. And he's got really big eyes that... Apparently, he doesn't like the joke, but his wife loves. He's got kind of a thing. R.I.P. his wife. R.I.P. his wife, which happened this which, year. It happened this year, and I was crazy. I was like, that's a bummer. I didn't yeah. know that. Especially because his wife seemed really cool. Yeah. Uh, Mary Jo Andre, she was like a really avant-garde dancer in the 80s and 90s and really connected into kind of the avant-garde performing arts scene in New York. And yeah. I wonder if that is kind of how, because he also was not just an actor and a filmmaker. He was a firefighter, yep. like an actual New York city firefighter from 1980 to 1984. And until he just kept getting movie roles yeah. and TV anymore. roles and was like, but he but did. Yeah. Nine 11. He yeah. went back to his yeah. old firehouse. He's still apparently like a volunteer firefighter. Yeah. And you know, uh, he's an honorary um, fire brigade captain. 
I buy that. But to be fair, not to bash on him, but like everyone is. Shaq is like an honorary fire brigade captain Yeah, but somewhere. Shaq is never an actual firefighter, so this actually means more. That's true. But Shaq is more intimidating. Like if Shaq showed up and was like, I'm on the podcast, I'd be like, now Shaq is a member of Blockbuster Film School because- I'd do that. I like he, blue chips. I love Shaq. But he also could- Shazam! He could actually pick me up and pop my head off <laughs> if he felt like- Fatality. <laughs> Shaq's are really like low key. He just, he just <laughs> slowly picks you up and pops your head off. Um, yes. Yeah, so he's a true New Yorker. You know, he's from Brooklyn. His family moved to um, Valley Stream in Nassau County, which is still basically it's kind of the suburbs of New York, but graduated from Valley Stream Central High School, where he was the 75th anniversary of Valley Stream High School. He was their golden alumni, like the greatest person who ever graduated from Valley Stream High School, which I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who else graduated from Valley Street High School. John Travolta. <laughs> we all know that he went to Cooley High School. That's true. Where him and Kanicki. Hey. hey. Oh, you were going for, I was going for a fucking welcome back Cotter joke. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, Damn it. Green, he was in high school for 20 years. He was, until he had those talking babies. It was a whole thing. Yeah. Also, if you're a Scientologist, you can hear babies talk. There's a point of look who's talking. It's a recruitment tape. That is how that works. Yeah. He ended up, Literally working as, you know, a whole bunch of jobs like us, bartender, exotic dancer, firefighter. I don't know about the exotic dancer, but he was an actual firefighter. And until he just kept getting gigs, he was doing a lot of avant-garde stuff. His first movie in 1985, The Way It Is, by a company called No Wave Cinema, which I've never heard of. I didn't know that existed. The, I knew that was a genre of music, no way. Yes. And I remember he was in a lot of TV shows in the 80s. There's even a moment He's in, in fucking Wolf of Wall Street yeah. in um um Oh no. The Equalizer. Movie, equalizer. The Who the fuck <laughs> calls her in the Equalizer? Oh, hello. Hello. He was in episodes of Miami Vice. Yeah. He had that look. He's kind of a He do a lot of things. But also, it's interesting that he fell in very quickly as being kind of a small-time criminal. This is a sort of a role that would come back many times. Him as small time weird guy who's up to weird stuff. He's a shooter in a bell tower. He's a low level criminal. He is a, a terrible kidnapper. Terrible kidnapper slash hitman. Cowardice is a big He's thing. He's a decent jewelry thief. We'll get into it. Like so, yeah. jewel thief. Yes. The oldest movies I've seen of his were he was a henchman for Lawrence Fishburne and his King char- New York's great. Yeah, King New York's great. His yeah. character's name was Test Tube, which I really like. Yeah. Which I assume has something to do with his love of high chemistry. Yes. Yeah. You know, I was very young, but I remember seeing parting glances on Encore. Yes. Which I really didn't get because I was kind of young. Yeah, because he's really good in that. 86. Who made parting glances? Somebody who died from AIDS four years later and never made another movie. Yes. I was looking this up earlier. That is kind of his like first leading role, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It was directed by a guy named Bill Shearwood. Yeah. Yeah. Who ended up going down. RIP. RIP Bill Shearwood. Yeah, it's a real fucking shame. Like, I wonder how many awesome directors and actors and stuff we'd still have if uh, Ronald Reagan was a complete piece of shit. Uh, so he's in a movie called Tales from the Dark Side, which he's in a, a small piece with Christian Slater and Julianne Moore yeah. in that movie, kind of giving all of them their start. And Hey, when's our Julianne Moore episode? Oh, that's weird. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll have a Julianne Moore episode yeah. soon. Oh, I don't know. When are we going to have our James Cameron episode, Nick? A lot, a lot more down the <laughs> yeah. line. It's going to be right. episodes. Where we actually have yeah. James Cameron on? Yeah. 
He, he just did. calls up and yells about Avatar being underrated. <laughs> he's just yelling about 3D cameras for an yeah. hour and a half. This is bullshit. He's Canadian. He's not going to yell. Yeah. He's going to be very nice to us. It's going to be weird. Do you guys like me in Entourage? <laughs> not to derail. Slight side story. James Cameron was on the last episode of Attack of the Show. He was amazing on it. He was like, this is the last episode. He tore the set apart. He was like, fuck this place. Let's tear this place to the ground. This is bullshit. Attack of the Show is a great show, and it's a real RIP that it's gone. So he ends up kind of the first thing that leads him to being Steve Buscemi, though, is he he plays Mink in Miller's Crossing, which is his first time that he works with the Coen brothers. We were talking about this. He's been in five Coen brothers movies, which is the most of any actor, more so than Francis McDormand, more than John Goodman. The Coen brothers love him. I fully understand why. Like I said, there's a weird thing. He's, where, he Steve might be the most Buscemi, versatile actor ever. I don't. Steve Buscemi is the greatest weirdo in history. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's a truly great way to put it. And but you know what? He can play non weirdo if oh, he yeah. wants to. He be. wants if he wants. He's so versatile. He could be the most normal guy ever. Yeah. Or he'd be the strangest guy ever. That's but the strangeness is what he's good at. Yeah, he really, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> really, there's not many people who could play strange as well as he can. If you've never seen a Coen Brothers movie. Um, That's not possible. You're a robot and we're on to you. You're yelling into the void on that one. That's, I am movie bot 9000. <laughs> and Miller's Crossing is a really killer movie. It has Gabriel Byrne and um, a lot of Marsha Gay Harding, John Turturro. Honestly, check it out. It's a, uh, Kind of one of the more straightforward Coen Brothers crime stories. It's really the first couple of Coen Brothers crime stories are Albert Finney's in it too. Albert by the way. Really vicious, really reminiscent of what they would do a little later. It has their usual weirdness, but not exactly their comedic timing as much. It's really dark. So basically, he starts working with the Coen Brothers, and then he ends up making a movie with another guy that he'll work with a lot, Jim Jarmusch, which I think it's pronounced Jim Jarmusch. I saw him once, which if you could also, side subject, if you could see Jim Jarmusch ever talk about movies, it's fabulous. It's truly fabulous. I've told this story to you before, but I should tell it now. Jim Jarmusch once told this story when I went and saw him at the Biograph Theater here in Chicago, where the Biograph showed movies after they showed like Down by Law and a bunch of stuff. He talked about how he went to NYU for a semester and then quit. And then years later in the early 2000s, someone showed him one of their recruitment pamphlets to NYU film school. And as alumni, it had his name on it. And he basically was like, what the fuck? And he called them and was like, this is fucking bullshit. I didn't graduate from NYU film school. You guys are a bunch of shitheads. You need to take my fucking name out of this right fucking down. He got a overnighted FedEx package that he opened the next day that had a degree in it from NYU Film School. They're like, fuck you, you did graduate from here, you cloud. And so, yeah, if you could do yourself a favor. Can't uh, beat City Hall. <laughs> I guess I guess I did graduate from NYU yeah. now. But he appeared in a movie called Mystery Train, which came out in 89, which is one of Jim Jarmusch's movies where, if you're unfamiliar with Jim Jarmusch, sometimes he does movies that are kind of vignettes where there'll be kind of three episodes that loosely tie together. And in this one, it's really, really killer. I'm a big fan of The Clash and Joe Strummer, the lead singer from The Clash and Buscemi and another dude end up accidentally robbing a place. And then when they're hiding out, they get super drunk and they just start revealing things about their past to each other and they become friends. But then in the morning, they figure out their bunch of stuff they said was lies. It's really funny and poetic and sad and weird, like a lot of Jarmusch stuff. Yeah, it's all over the place. It's great. And it's one of those ones where as we're going along in this 
kind of letting you know some of the stuff. I would say Mystery Train, do yourself a favor, check it out. He just had a movie come out that was in big theaters with Bill Murray and uh, Kylo Ren. What the fuck is wrong with him? It's Kylo Ren's real name. Adam Driver. Nailed it. I know what I'm doing. Anyways, so then he's a bellboy in Barton Fink. The second time he's with the Coen brothers. Barton Fink is a bigger hit. It starts kind of gaining momentum. You know, he's working a lot now. He's on a lot of TV stuff. And into the early 90s is kind of your first wave of Buscemi because then in 1992, there's a guy. His name is Quentin Tarantino. Real fast. Yeah. Real fast. Yeah. So we're going to have a Quentin Tarantino debate now. No. I want to point something out. Yeah. I want to talk about a movie real fast. Yeah, do it. It also came out in 1992. Please tell me. Steve Buscemi was one of the first actors that I truly followed. This is something that is going to be a huge compliment from me towards him, but something Mm -hmm. that you hate is because we actually had this conversation on the 4th of July. I see all these dumb indie movies that play for like four days in Chicago. (laughs) And it started with Steve Buscemi movies. Yeah. He made so many early, like truly independent films in the nineties. And one of them is in the soup, which was directed by Alexander Rockwell. He wanted to work with him a couple more times. Nothing as good as this, but he's a struggling screenwriter who has no money and puts out an ad where he wants to sell his 500 page movie script to the highest bidder and Seymour Cassell buys it is like comes to him to get it and finance the film. And it turns into this whole like fucking this whole thing. It's totally worth watching. It's a totally over romanticized mm. wannabe filmmaker movie. Right. And but if, if you are one of those people, you'll love this fucking movie. I don't know. I don't like movies that much. So I don't know. I never tried to make and that's anymore. the end of our podcast. All right, it. everybody. See you later. Uh, that's it. Uh, next week. We're Welcome gonna... <laughs> to the Brian Tepps show. <laughs> Brian, super producer Brian Tepps is just going to sing for us for the next 45 minutes. As I was going through Steve Buscemi's film career, it kind of blew my mind where In the Soup is one of the few Steve Buscemi movies I've never seen. And... I own it on DVD. Oh, dude. Okay. I paid like $30. I will watch it. But it also sort of blew my mind. I also love Steve Buscemi and I've seen like... Every fucking movie that Steve Buscemi has made, including a bunch of bad ones. I've watched a lot of bad ones because he's in it. That's true. But 1992 is interesting because he makes In the Soup, which for an indie movie, a pretty good critical success. Then he is in Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs, which is, it is the Nirvana of movie 90s. It It is. is The Smells Like Teen Spirit. It comes out. After that appears... Then Hollywood is like, holy shit, there were guys working at Blockbuster who can make this kind of shit. We now need to hunt down every single independent filmmaker in the entire world and give them big budget multi-movie deals. Whether you like Quentin Tarantino or not, that happened. And probably at least one filmmaker that you like came out of that surge of Reservoir Dogs appearing. And also just like the culture changed. All of a sudden, this super wordy, super foul-mouthed, super hyper-violent world of movies appeared, and they were dope as fuck. And the lead of all of it, more so in my mind than Mr. Wolf, more so than even Michael Madsen, as much as I love him. It's Mr. Pink. It's Mr. Pink. He made a bunch of people question tipping, which is fucked up. Which is fucked we, up. All three of us work in the service industry. <laughs> which is bullshit. It's don't, bullshit. If you don't tip, you honestly, they literally- You're a piece of shit. Are if you don't tip, you're a piece of shit. They're allowed to stab you in the eye with a straw. Not with a knife, but with a straw. If but you don't there's tip. a lot of metal straws now. Paper straw. They can stab you mm-hmm. with a paper straw in the eye. That's what they're allowed to do. One time. One good time. Ah! <laughs> 
Tip and everybody. Tip everybody. Tip everybody. Tip like your Ray Liotta and Goodfellas. And it just, exactly. Just tip random people. people or Steve who, Martin in um, My Blue Heaven, which is the same character, except they have to use a witness protection. If a cop's talking, you just put money in his pocket. Yeah. Just, just, eh, I don't believe in tipping. I believe in over-tipping. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it's amazing. Also, it starts a weird trope of either Buscemi will go down hard in a movie or he will be the one to sneak out the back. Exactly. He will be the one who is able to sneak out the back. Spoiler alert for Reservoir Dogs that came out 27 years ago. If you haven't seen it, Jesus Christ, man. I'm going to say something, though. Mm -hmm. This is a testament to his acting. Most of the acting in that movie does not hold up anymore. Okay, you have a weird beat for Tarantino. Bam! Right. Bam! I hate Harvey Keitel. Okay, Har- well, I, I, I don't like Harvey Keitel. Interesting. Rest in peace, Chris Penn. He's not that very good an actor. Okay, but Michael Madsen. Michael Madsen wanna, holds up. You want to? Michael wanna Madsen play the fire holds up. Scarecrow. Yeah. Tim Roth holds Tor- up. Obviously, Torchy, Torchy, I like that. Yeah, I mean you're right, but it's it, it is literally a super indie movie that they made in like three locations in Los Angeles. Yeah, and it changed the world. I feel like Lawrence Bender doesn't get enough credit as a producer. I agree. And Roger Avery was writing on that. and He doesn't uh, get any credit. He gets zero credit because, you know. That's, some, his, that's his role in the world. Sometimes the bass player who wrote all the good yeah. choruses doesn't get the credit when. He's famous for uncredited rewrites and manslaughter. Yeah. And a couple of like movies that we know that are blockbuster that no one likes. Go see if Killing Zoe's streaming. Don't fucking pay for it. Rules of Attraction. Rules of Attraction. Rules of Attraction. Yeah. I kind of like. That's actually on Amazon Prime now. I actually like Rules of Attraction. So do I. And uh, but I have a weird soft spot for um, Eric Stoltz. <laughs> as much as he is a complete douchebag in real life, Brett Easton Ellis's novels are some of the scariest horror novels in the world. He is a complete piece of shit. I apologize to anyone for anything that Brett Easton Ellis has done to anybody. But literally, when you read his books, it is why they are so terrifying because he might actually be a psychopath. There, I'm saying that that's uh, controversial, but it's interesting to read. So. He's in Pulp Fiction a little bit. Uh, Buddy Holly. Yeah, he's Buddy Holly. He's a waiter in Pulp Fiction. But then that's kind of the end with him and Tarantino. And then it's like the mid-90s. He does a lot of wait, TV wait, wait. stuff. We can't, we can't jump over something. What you as doing? much as I don't want to acknowledge this, mm-hmm. also in 1994, yes. started yes. his career, <laughs> his long goddamn career with Adam Sandler, because they were both in the fucking comedy classic. Yes. I'm saying that again. Comedy classic. Airheads. Yes. Yes. And it began him and Sandler being apparently lifelong friends. And yeah. he's in like every Sandler movie, at least a little bit. Airheads is awesome and hilarious. And Harold Ramis is in that movie. Harold Ramis directed that movie. Mm, I don't think so. I No, the director of Airheads was just at the music box. And since Harold Ramis isn't alive. Yeah. It wasn't him. Oh, Richard Wilkes and Michael Lenneman. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So Airheads is directed by Michael Lemon. Lenneman? I always pronounce it that way because I'm an idiot. I'm sure it's not pronounced that way. I think it's pronounced that way. Right. But Lemon, he was like the cinematographer on The Outsiders. He went to no USC Cinematic Arts. He like worked on Saturday Night Live. Lemon was an interesting dude. Yeah, he made Airheads. But then the first time that... I saw Steve Buscemi with my own eyes was in the scene in Billy Madison where Billy Madison calls the guy that he picked on all through high school. Hey, um, I just want to say I'm really sorry. I, I treated you really bad in high school and I'm sorry. And then Steve Buscemi's like, oh, 
okay, thanks, man. And then he sits down and he goes to his list to kill list, which also has like JFK Jr. on it. Yeah. R.I.P. But at the top of the list is Billy Madison and he crosses his name off. And then he sits down and just starts putting lipstick on. And I'm sorry. I, I like, I absolutely adore Steve Buscemi. And you know that he just came up with that character. He literally created that. Off of that note, um, the first time I saw Steve Buscemi mm-hmm. was a very weird zombie movie that he co-starred in with Ed Bagley Jr. called <laughs> Edit His Dead Mother, where Ed Bagley... <laughs> Help bring his mom back to life after she died. Yes. And then was like, well, she needs to eat. Because there's a moment in that movie where there's a large, heavy set woman chasing some skinny asshole down the street <laughs> trying to eat him. And I'll never forget that. This is like a daytime HBO zombie movie. Yes. And then A. Bagley goes, she needs to eat. And he, he's like, give me $500. And then gives him a cigar box and he opens it. And all these giant New York sized cockroaches run. He goes, what the fuck? She eats cockroaches now. And that's just like, that's how the movie went for like 90 minutes. Yes. Ed Bagley Jr. I'm yeah. sold. Exactly. <laughs> um, if you're not aware that Steve Buscemi's been in almost every Adam Sandler movie, he's always in it for a little bit. A lot of them. He steals a lot of them with his small characters. He plays the other guy in the band who's really into culture club in The Wedding Singer. And he plays the homeless guy in Big Daddy and just Steve Buscemi is always just appearing as random, hilarious, weird characters in Adam Sandler movies. And sometimes it's worth watching some of them just to see the Steve Buscemi stuff, to tell you the yeah. truth. If you want to look up like a YouTube Steve Buscemi supercut, I'm sure there's one of him in the, the Adam Sandler stuff. It's solid. I remember he was like the guidance counselor on Pete and Pete. And oh, he was great in that. Yes. I love Pete and Pete. Yes. And he was Pete on, and Pete's an underrated classic. Absolutely. There was an NBC show called Homicide Life on the Street, which involved a lot of the people who ended up working on The Wire. It was a gritty cop show set in Baltimore. Like a five episode arc, right? And he was, yes. And I don't remember, I, I got to tell you, I don't remember it as well as I used to. I used to have like all of Homicide on DVD and I was a big fan. And then literally The Wire came out and I was like, this is Homicide only better. But like a lot of actors came from there. Andre Braher who I like a lot. He was Detective Frank Pembleton, who was like the main guy. And it was just kind of not like other cop shows. It was the cops and the criminals, like The Wire, were regarded as human beings. Yeah. And they're all up to their own shit. It was very interesting. Had also, a- before we pass mm-hmm. 1995, I want to bring mm-hmm. up another thing. He stars in a movie called Living in Oblivion, mm-hmm. which is directed by Tom DeCillo, which is another independent movie about making independent films which I also saw at a very young age and fell in love with, but it's the film debut of Peter Dinklage, oh. who stars in this as a little person oh, in no a way. dream sequence, and he Buscemi can't shoot it right, and Peter Dinklage just freaks out. and goes, oh, it's a fucking dream sequence. We'll get a fucking midget. Oh, look at it. It's a dream sequence. It's so weird. And then he flips out and leaves the set, and then you just see Steve Buscemi just sitting there like, it's over. It's over. It's so good. I can't wait for our Dinklage episode. That's going to be dope as shit. Oh, it's going to be so good. Yes. Um, I love Dinklage. We should avoid the safe agent, though, the whole time just to freak people out. <laughs> for just, no reason. No, or I was going to say, just avoid Game of Thrones. Just never speak of it. Just only the other Peter Dinklage Here, stuff. Here's something you're not going to be shocked by. I've never yeah. seen it. It's okay. Turns out it's a show that people like, and Peter Dinklage is on it. Okay, cool. And he's very famous now. Yeah. Even more so than before. Yeah. Because he was Tyrion Lannister. There is an element in the 90s that people don't talk about, which is that there was a man. His name is Joel Schumacher, which we'll also do an episode of. He is. I'm going to be blackout drunk for that one. (laughs) It's going to be so great. He is a hilarious filmmaker. You may know this name because 
he directed a lot of stuff, but he's kind of most famous for directing Batman Forever and the nips and the, the hot Hershey Kiss nips on Batman and Robin, which no nips on the Alicia Silverstone costume. What the fuck? Women don't have nipples. That is true. We all know that. I mean, if you've gone on Instagram, women don't have nipples. <laughs> That's true. It gets disturbing. It really does. Topical humor. But Batman and Robin was a huge fail. It was a massive fail. But Batman Forever was not. It was a no. huge success. So there was initial talks of making a fifth Batman movie with Schumacher directing, and he wanted Buscemi to play the Scarecrow. And that got very close to happening. That would have been amazing. And, and very, it's, it's probably it's, terrible. It's kind of also rumored that Buscemi even may have like signed on and was going to do it if it was made, but it did not occur, which they should have just made that in the fourth one. And fuck, like, I mean... But then we wouldn't have Schwarzenegger yelling things like, "What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age!" Like, chill out, <laughs> chill out. <laughs> so that didn't happen, and so that's kind of like there's this weird moment where Buscemi is kind of making TV stuff. He's still a pretty well known actor, but then then 1996 he, happened. Yes, and this is where Buscemi mania starts. Fucking, he tears his shirt open like Hulk Hogan. Fucking, and Bus- he's just got a weird tattoo on his chest <laughs> of Danny Trejo, and that Danny Trejo tattoo has his tattoo yes. on his chest, and it's just like it's a, it's a Russian doll. And when they chest get close tattoos. to each other, it's like a mirror. When you yeah. put two mirrors in front of each other, yes. He also had a Fu Manchu mustache, like uh, Hulk Hogan, but he makes this movie called Fargo. Is that any good? I've never you seen know, it. No, it's weird. It's not like it's this huge breakout across the board best picture like sometimes like ranked as high as like the 30th best movie of all time by afi fucking fargo that the coen brothers broke across the board and is fargo he, a real place <laughs> is fargo, is, i don't know that's a good question i know one person listening who's gonna be very upset by that question another one of the movies where i'm gonna say if you've never seen billy madison fine whatever if you've never seen Fargo, Jesus. You are not living your life what is properly. Go- like, he plays Carl Showalter, who is a criminal, once again, a nervous, paranoid, delusions of grandeur, fast-talking criminal. Well, you would call a Buscemi-type character. A Buscemi-type character, although we will get into this. And Fargo is a huge hit. Then he is Garland Green in Con Air, where he steals well, that We're movie. skipping over. Well, okay. Okay, I'm, right, I'm right. sorry to be this dude who keeps bringing up all the indie movies. I'm going to bring up two things. So first of all, not an indie movie, but he is the second best part of Escape from L.A. Oh, Same yeah. Year. Fast Talking Eddie. He also has the- Vap to the Stars Eddie, sorry. <laughs> Vap to the Stars Eddie. He has- The greatest double take in history. The greatest double take in the history of cinema. Absolutely. In which Snake Plissken and- Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda are, are riding a tsunami wave. And his eyes bug out yeah. like a cartoon wolf. <laughs> More than usual bug out. John Carpenter may have been super high at that point. It was like, now put that sound effect in. Yeah, which also, by the way, by that point, John Carpenter stopped using cocaine. Mm. So he was just smoking so much weed with Kurt Russell. Yes. That somebody went, you know what we need? Snake Plissken, who's never surfed before, to get on top of tsunami. <laughs> also, tsunami snake, tsunami. Also, apparently people who don't understand what surfing is at all. Really, just go ahead and do it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Although, the John Carpenter episode we're going to do is going to be fabulous. It's going to be my favorite episode he's ever. Our, he might be. He's up there. He's, our, he's my personal hero. He is our spirit animal, and... We are not bashing on you, John Carpenter. Your shit is the best. We went and saw you. Your live. Saw you at the Aragon. Yes, your live great. music of your soundtracks is fucking the business. If you haven't seen John Carpenter live, his son is playing lead synth. 
So John Carpenter has been playing lead synth on the songs he wrote. He's just rocking his show. It. He's just rocking just it. doing the old grandpa dances. But also the same year, real fast, uh, 1996, he makes his film directing debut with Trezon, which he also stars in, yes. which literally has all of his friends in there, and he makes out with a very young Chloe Seveny. Yes, but Trezon is the kind of, it's obviously the first, you know, directorial debut for Buscemi. I've since watched all of his directorial movies. That is the best. The last one he made was 2007's Interview, which is, it's okay. I didn't see it. It's okay. I didn't it, bother. Kind of an interesting idea for a movie, but I don't know. It was, yeah. I mean, he made it for nothing. I know. I'm a lot bigger fan of Trees Lounge than you. I realize that. I'm not against Trees Lounge. I just, I feel like. It's a bummer. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. It's a bummer. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. And I'm not against bummers, but I also, I don't know, I lean less into them. Whereas I, I don't. Yes, I know you like them, which is why this dynamic works. Also, in that time, though, late 90s Buscemi is where he really explodes. Because mm-hmm. as I was saying, he plays Garland Green in Con Air, where he basically steals the entire movie. Con Air is insane. Yes. If we talked about it with Nick Cage, the Nick Cage episode. It is a huge, massive hit. It's a movie that would never come out now. But he plays Garland Green, who is... Like the Hannibal Lecter role, but he's like cool Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And once again, he escapes at the end. He is the guy who sneaks away. And yeah, last scene of the, the what would be a Marvel like post credit yes, scene yes. is essentially Steve Buscemi at a crap stable mm-hmm. just playing dice. Yes. Because he's he ready to murder people, I guess. Yeah, like he eats. <laughs> they mentioned how many people he murders and yes. how many of them he eats. Mm-hmm. But he's so personable mm-hmm. in this movie. There's a scene where he everyone's like, "Is he going to murder a little girl in a fucking trailer park?" And he doesn't. And he she doesn't. waves and he says just goodbye. Has sex with her. <sighs> Pause for deletion. No, fucking. Anyways, so I agree. They portray him as giving him a little bit of the hero thing. Yeah, but. It is truly a great reveal because you they show a guy who is strapped up like Hannibal Lecter with a mask on. And, and then it's this. just Steve Buscemi's exactly. eyes. Exactly. Then they reveal him like 45 minutes in the movie and it's Steve Buscemi. And he's the wild card. He's the wild card of the movie. It's worth watching for crazy 90s performances. Nick Cage. Big Rames. Big Ram- Malkovich. Malkovich. Your Buscemi. boy from... Um- Oh, John Cusack. John Cusack. Everyone just acting their ball. Tom Meany. Just doing crazy pants. Like Danny Trejo's in that. Danny Trejo. Honestly. Dave Chappelle. Dave, Dave Chappelle falls out of a fucking airplane in that movie. That Dave Chappelle. Is, <laughs> if you want to see some shit that you would just never see in a movie now, you go watch yourself some Con Air, and you will enjoy yourself for the two hours that that movie goes on. I will say that. He then is the other member of the bowling team. In the Big Lebowski. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. You're out of your element, Donnie. The second movie, he dies. Spoiler alert. In The Big Lebowski. Same thing. If you've never seen The Big Lebowski, it came out 20 fucking years ago. So, Which kind of blows my mind. It's a cultural touchstone. The movie's so big, he's playing... The dude now in fucking Stella Artois videos yeah, well. with Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Well, let's not get into weird cash grabs during Super Bowl commercials that ruin characters we love. If you've never seen The Big Lebowski, I don't have to explain it to you, but The Big Lebowski is also another place where Steve Buscemi is just the side character 
who weasels his way in to being the most memorable character in the entire movie. You remember his character name more than almost any other, obviously, than the titular character. And he is beloved because... Oh, yeah. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Yeah. And it just... The best is when you say that the co-workers and they're like, my name's not Donnie. It's like, no, it's not. You don't get that reference. You're like, how you old should, are you? And they were like, should... I was born in 2003. Jesus Christ. Yeah. How am I so old and working in this restaurant? <laughs> he then basically plays the same character, Rockhound, in the Michael Bay Criterion Classic. Two of his movies in the Two Criterion. Two of his movies, but this is the only one he made with Steve Buscemi, Armageddon. I don't want to I don't want to be something like that, right? I think is the yeah. Aerosmith song, right? That yeah. skeleton sings. Yes. All right. So that old grandma and cocaine. <laughs> and he's singing that song about his daughter getting banged by Ben Affleck. Yeah. Just it's a little. It's super weird. It's super weird. It's super weird. There's a scene where Ben Affleck has like a whole talking to animal, animal crackers on her belly and Liv shit. Tyler's tits. It's very strange. I don't know, but it hit me at the exact right moment because I was like 14. It did not hit me at the right moment. I know, I but I, you know me, I loved big budget summer movies. I was like, a big budget summer movie coming out? I don't really give a shit. Yeah. I'll go see it. Things are exploding. Oh my God, stupid Chevy's in it? Fine, I don't care. And uh, Meanwhile, I was asking for rides to uh, Piper's Alley. Piper's Alley. R.I.P. R.I.P. That was a movie theater here in Chicago that was yeah. a fabulous, cool little indie movie right theater. Right on North Avenue. I know, and it was close and in the city. Although Music Box has picked up the slack, I think. Oh, they picked up the slack. Hardcore. Big, Big shout out to Music Box. Yeah, um, future sponsors. But don't worry, for you, though, he did probably not his most award-winning, but his closest to getting nominated for an Oscar. He was Seymour in Ghost World. Woo! Yeah, and the Daniel Klaus comic classic that Launched one career. <laughs> Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Steve Buscemi and Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah. Thora Birch, if you're out there, what are you doing? Yeah. Can we interview you? Yeah, please, please. We won't be weird, honestly. Uh, I've he heard won't a lot be of, weird. I'm, we've heard a lot of weird rumors about you. For real? I didn't hear any. Like that her dad was like her manager and was a total creep and weirdo. Oh, I mean, I assume- And then basically dive-bombed her career because no one wanted to work with her because her dad was a fucking weirdo. Uh, yeah, exactly. She got Macaulay culkin But even weirder, because the Culkins were just like, you know, had weird regular parents yeah. and they were super famous and super rich. No, Thor Bridge's dad is like, yeah, she'll totally show her tits in this movie. For you know, like, yeah. It's fucked up. Yeah, it's, it's a little weird. You know what she was in, though? It came mm-hmm. out this year. She had like five lines in it was mm-hmm. uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Interesting. Which, if you haven't seen it, it's an amazing movie. I did like her. I always thought she was a really I always great liked actress. her. Yeah, right. I actually fucking, I made a whole mixtape for this girl who, you know, didn't give a shit about me, but... It was, was it called, Thor Birch? It was called, and I gave Thor Birch a mixtape <laughs> called Whatever Happened to the Thor Birch. She was like, this is meta. This is so meta, <laughs> man. I'm into you. My dad wants to go on a date with you, not me. <laughs> I'm in here, kid. Don't worry, I'll listen to this later. Yeah, and so then, so he basically makes those. He gets nominated for an AFI. I think he wins the AFI award for Ghost World. He gets nominated for a Golden Globe. He gets nominated for a bunch of stuff for Gold. There's yeah. a lot of talk that he's going to get nominated for Best. He's never had an Oscar nod. He's never no. had an Oscar nod. Makes no nod. sense. Makes They'll no fucking sense. give him one of those like Lifetime Achievement Awards. Maybe. Yeah, he'll be kind of one of those guys. Or you never know. I mean, he's still like he's still around. Like He's still making a ton of shit. I could definitely see him making something really cool that he starts kicking ass at. And after that sort of flourish, that 90s flourish, strangely enough, kind of with the Nick Fury flourish, 
Nick Fury, Nick Cage flourish. He turns into an A-list movie star. And then he does a lot of voice acting. He's in Monsters Incorporated. He's in Big Fish. He's in Home on the Range. He's in Monster House, Charlotte's Web. A lot of animated stuff. A lot of like where he plays a lot of characters. And he really is just kind of... Buscemi at this point and all the way into the early 2000s he makes a lot of in the early 2000s he directs a lot of movies like we were saying from like the mid 90s to the early 2000s a lot of movies he kind of turns more into a director watch them at your own peril I don't know yeah yeah some of the skip lonesome Jim that movie is I don't want to say this I don't want to say this kind of hard to watch I'm sorry I'm gonna say this I think lonesome Jim's sort of like almost unwatchable. It's true. There's some weird Buscemi stuff in the late 90s, early 2000s. He kind of has a comeback, particularly when he catches HBO's eye yeah. because he plays a really cool character on The Sopranos. I love him on The Sopranos. Dude, Tony Soprano's cousin, fucking yeah, Tony so Blundetto, fucking. He's really good. Um, Can I tell a really quick James Gandolfini story? Do it. Okay, so. I love James Gandolfini. R.I.P. I love J- R.I.P. R.I.P. There's so many R.I.P.s in this episode. There's so cocaine in heaven for you, dude. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. So. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but my family's Italian. They're from oh, Italy. No way. Yeah, it's hard to no believe, way. right? You don't like when I do the Italian voice for some reason. Uh, anyway. You're fine with the Long Island voice for some reason, though. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. we're not from Long Island. They're from Italy. That's true. That's They're from Italy. You're right. You're right. God bless. Oh, God damn it. Anyways, I'm against the Long Island voice. Oh, anyways. So James Gandolfini dies. Mm-hmm. And at work, I get a text and a phone call from my mom. Hey, I don't want to scare you. I'm like, what's wrong? James Gandolfini died. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. She goes, are you going to be okay? I'm like, well, I After mean, I'll, such I'll, good care of himself. I'll be, <laughs> I'm like, I'll be fine. at work. I just got to go get through work. She's yeah. like, okay. She's like, text me tomorrow. Let me know if you're okay. I'm like, okay, thank you for calling me. Thanks for letting yeah. me know. Right. Yeah. I go to my parents' house like 12 days later. Mm-hmm. We're sitting there. We're talking. My mom goes super casually. She goes, oh, hey, you know, your uncle Pompey died. I'm like, what? <laughs> When? She goes, same day as Gandolfini. I didn't want to overload you. I just knew you'd be upset about Gandolfini. Right, you're like, lead. Your uncle's name was Pompey? Yeah, Pompeo. Okay. That's I was pretty like, dope. You know, he was like your uncle. I'm like, from the other room, my dad goes, he was a fucking dick. And my mom goes, he was a fucking dick. And I was like, <laughs> to be fair, historically, Pompey was kind of a dick. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. But that's how my family runs. Yeah. We had a cat named Buscemi, and we mourned Gandolfini before we mourned our own uncle. I get yeah. it. I get it. Well, okay. Uh, transition. And, <laughs> but on The Sopranos, he's so liked by HBO that he directs several episodes of The Sopranos. Including, and Oz. Yes. And he directs an episode called The Pine Barons, which is a really cool episode. If you've never watched Sopranos, it's slightly episodic. So there's literally like episodes of The Sopranos where you should watch them. And Sopranos is interesting. It's a very much so give and take whether you like it or not. But the the run with Buscemi is super solid. And that leads into my personal favorite Buscemi. Like, he wins the Golden Globe for acting for lead in a dramatic television series, and that is him as Enoch Nucky Thompson in Boardwalk Empire. I'm telling you straight out, I love Martin Scorsese, but just straight across the board, do yourself a favor and watch Boardwalk Empire. It's amazing. And it's very interesting on what they do with Buscemi in this because Buscemi always played neurotic, cowardly, weird, 
criminal characters. He is the most confident motherfucker in the world. Dude. And the, in Boardwalk Empire. Dude, Nucky Thompson is such a fucking badass. And I know it's like a 60-hour movie, so you can yeah. really expand your character. But I love some of the stuff where literally he's a crime boss who, when faced with making an evil decision that actually will help him, he doesn't do evil and that fucks him. And there's such a weird element of that and the way that he portrays that and just the strange humanity of Enoch Thompson that he literally like becomes jealous of like his girlfriend, but then his own wife is giving him shit and he just like doesn't know how to handle any of the, and it's just this very peculiarly strange, violent character that I can't really compare to anything else. I really can't. I think that as a crime piece, as a historical piece, as an Americana piece, it honestly is one of the greatest things that yeah. I've ever seen in cinema. It was produced by Scorsese. Yes. He directed a lot of the episodes. He did, but it's not like any Scorsese criminal mm -hmm. in film. True. It's a very different yes. beast. It's yeah. something that you needed to put on TV so yeah. it could grow right. and make all these decisions right. and become this character that like, Everything he did or didn't do was believable. Yes. And Buscemi was probably the only person who could pull that the That's fuck the off. fucking truth, man. That Buscemi is such a rare gem of a artist that I don't know if there's anybody who could have pulled it off as believably as him. Yeah. And people underestimated him because of the way he looked and the way he sounds. But that's a fail if you underestimate him. But then he himself has all these weird hang-ups about his own life and that's why he won't do certain things it's fascinating it's yeah. fascinating and if you like crime shows if you like stories about american history i mean it's just fascinating and also they tell the story of atlantic city which is just yeah. something that like no one's ever told and it's basically las vegas of the fucking the original las vegas the original crime outfit you know i mean it's Plus Omar from The Wire is in it and oh, Jeffrey Wright's in it. Tons of amazing actors are Everybody in it. Everybody who HBO loves is in this fucking series. Like, I know he's a dick, but Michael Pitt is amazing in it. Fuck it. Like, Michael it, Shannon's in it. Michael Shannon. Michael, that is where Michael he's Shannon so good. truly explodes so when we do our Michael Shannon episode. This will yeah. also coincide because Michael Shannon starts as just an interesting side character and he becomes the other lead at a certain yeah, point. I mean, it's fascinating. This show was so weird and bizarre and yeah. amazing. Like, I worked at a bar by my parents' house, mm. and if I had too much there, I'd just go over them. And my parents are both weird mm. vampires. Like, my mom's a baker, so she starts at 4.30 in the morning. My mm. dad never sleeps. So I'd go over. Everybody be up. My dad's like, oh, cool, you're over? Check out this episode of Boardwalk Empire. I kept up with Boardwalk Empire because I would drink too much at a bar, and my dad didn't sleep. <laughs> yeah, that sounds correct. And you could see this progression of how HBO becomes HBO because... Obviously, they are around and they were movies that we watched in the 90s because they had boobs, you know, and cursing. And there was a lot of like weird David Duchovny movies and stuff. But then they make Sopranos. And they realized anti-hero is the way to go for all Absolutely. their shows. They, make, they sort of make Sopranos and Deadwood at the same time. And they're like, what fails about this? And then they get Scorsese and they transition into Boardwalk Empire. And literally, I remember watching a trailer towards later seasons of Boardwalk Empire for Game of Thrones and I guarantee you that Game of Thrones does not explode the way that it does if Boardwalk Empire was not such a cultural Absolutely. hit as well because they hit that trailer at exactly the moment where they're like, this is Boardwalk Empire, but it's fantasy. You know, it just connected, you know, and in a way, Buscemi saved later seasons of Sopranos. 
You know what I'm saying? There's a possibility yeah. HBO doesn't exist. It doesn't work without Steve Buscemi. Like it really. HBO had some bad years, but they were not the Buscemi years. No. No, I mean, and now the powerhouse that it is, you know, and I remember that True Detective came on after yeah. Boardwalk and the lead in audience. That's how I watched it. And I imagine a lot of people were, you know, that's how that cultural touchstone sort of existed because people were watching the Buscemi show and it's sort of so many actors that came out of that. So many actors that just they took a lot of wire people, but yeah. then turned them into. You know, Buscemi people. I don't. <laughs> they are the Buscemi minions. But yeah, so we're at a weird point of like, you know, movies that Buscemi is making now, right? Because that kind of that kind of leads us up to present. You know, where he's still directing a lot of stuff. I think he kind of took a break because his wife died. Only the truth. I know yeah. It's, uh, it's. But he did make one of the best movies I saw. Of last oh year. yeah! Oh fuck it! My favorite movie of last year, yeah, Death tell of me. Stalin. The, death what? of Stalin. De- <laughs> yes, the death of Stalin. The death of Stalin, dude. He's so amazing. He's in Nikita this. Khrushchev. He is. It's so good. He's literally. Uh, if there's a blockbuster film school recommendation, straight up though, of maybe a movie that you haven't seen, that like a lot of these are like, why haven't you seen? Yeah, it? you know, fucking the Big Lebowski. But this, I understand a lot of people didn't see Death of Stalin. I saw it in the theater twice. So did I. I absolutely adored it. I thought it was funny and violent and insane and a great piece of satire and very timely of the bizarreness of our world currently. The thing that I like the most is that this takes place, you know, Stalin's death, Russia, all this shit. Nobody... Right. Uses a Russian accent. No. All of the actors right. that Armando Atucci got yeah. just use their own accent. So fucking Buscemi is running around Buscemi. using his Brooklyn fucking accents as the future leader of Russia. In my opinion, though, unless you really can get people to fucking really do the accents or speak in the language, I always prefer that more. I think that literally comes from like John McTiernan. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but of like modern, like McTiernan did that. He did a really cool device in The Hunt for Red October where the camera closed in, like they spoke in Russian in the very beginning of the movie. And then after that, everybody just spoke with their regular voice, you know, and just sort of, I feel like that's the best way to, I don't know. Because also Americans are bad at languages and accents. Well, here's the thing though. Whereas British people should always speak an American American accent. Yeah, this wasn't an American movie. Yes. It was written by the Veep guy. He's Italian. And he works mostly in England. Well, unfortunately, he's American now. <laughs> I don't know why I want to fight you on that. I'm American. But anyways. Uh, if you make a Hollywood movie, yeah, yeah, you're uh, you're. American. But anyways. <laughs> we own you now. All of these actors in this are fucking mostly English. Is the Scottish dude who's the crazy asshole. Like, there's a lot of different oh, accents in this. Zukov. Yeah, exactly. Fucking, Nobody I, speaks. I brought dates to the dance. Yeah. Do you want the redhead or the blonde? He's referring to two giant machine guns. Well, I'm sorry. But, I interrupted your point. No, I apologize. The whole point was just like, it's a very diverse cast. A mm-hmm. lot of different accents from everywhere. Not just American. The most Americans are Jeffrey Tambor and Steve Buscemi. Yes. But that's why they are cast as such. Because yeah. they play a sort of different attitude a little bit. Like, not to say that it's better or worse, but they play a different attitude. And maybe that's interesting that... Uh, she made that decision. He also returned after many, many years recently. I brought it up earlier that he plays a interesting character in the dead. Don't die. He returns and is in a Jim Jarmusch movie, which if you haven't seen the dead, don't die. I do recommend it. I do. 
it was cool to see a 35 millimeter movie in a movie theater where it's not like taking up the entire anamorphic screen. And he plays like a weird MAGA character. He plays, you know, this guy, you know, it's like Western Pennsylvania and he's a fucking asshole, but he does it well. You know, it's intriguing. Also, there's a really great episode where he's a mugger on Broad City, which if you've never seen, he tries to mug them a couple of times and they're like, Jesus Christ, dude, what is your problem? I don't have a problem. You have a problem. Like, and they get into these. Oh, it's solid. It's very. I I even caught that one. Oh, it's okay. He's in an episode of Electric Dreams, which is the Philip K. Dick Amazon series, which is so fitting. The Philip K. Dick series is on Amazon. Like. Amazon has eaten Philip K. Dick's ghost and they're putting yeah. out these like... I don't know. I don't watch sci-fi. <laughs> Shut I up. I was waiting for a slow turn from Taps. <laughs> there it is. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've never seen any sci-fi. Nope, your never. Favorite, your favorite movies aren't like Aliens and RoboCop. Shut up! Don't disprove my point. <laughs> but yeah... Uh, that's, that's for the people in the comment section. <laughs> um, that pulls us full circle for Mr. Steve Buscemi. Like, Most uh, recently, he's playing God on a TBS TV show, which yeah. I talked about earlier. It's weird because, like, he's playing God. Oh, Peter yeah. Stormare played the devil in that Constantine movie. Mm-hmm. There's this crazy-ass story that in 2001, Buscemi was stabbed in the throat. Five and the times. He was stabbed during a bar fight where he tried to help Vince Vaughn and in the, North and Carolina. The, yeah. And the producer of Domestic Disturbance. Yes. And some guy fucking, like was like trying to stab everybody and they ended up stabbing Buscemi a bunch of times. Yeah. And he totally survived like a gangster. Yeah. He went to the hospital. He was shooting two days later. Dude. And apparently he has like this like awesome gnarly scar on his face that they put makeup over. And I'm like, you should, you need to stop putting makeup over that. That looks dope. But seriously, I cut my fingernails too short the other day and I had to leave work (laughs) early. So Steve Buscemi is a gangster. Okay, so what's your favorite, Steve Buscemi, Nick? We'll do our favorite. Are we doing favorite or like top three? Ooh, that's interesting. Well, we could do like, um, yeah, we could do top three, and then we don't maybe have, okay, we don't, overrated, underrated. I don't know. That's an interesting question. Like, okay, mm-hmm. my most overrated favorite Sibushemi mm-hmm. is Living in Oblivion. Personally, it's overrated. Oh, I, on my own taste, just because. Sure. You know, romanticizing indie filmmaking. True. This um, is your wall at Blockbuster, man. This is your this is wall. wall. You you um, do your wall. You don't listen to my dumbass. Favorite. I mean, fuck, man, Fargo. Fargo, dude. Fargo is a masterpiece. Masterpiece. You could teach an entire semester on filmmaking about yes. that movie. Yes. I agree. It's so good. I agree entirely. I agree um, 100%. Yeah. Underrated. I'm going to go with Ed and his dead mother. <laughs> okay. I haven't seen that movie in like 30 years, I, but I'm going to go ahead and say it's it's better than anything else. I, you know, like. He plays such a schmuck. Do you have an overrated, an overrated um, Steve Buscemi movie? Like an actual overrated, not like my personal choice. Mm. I don't think so. I think he's either rated or underrated. Right. Because also the thing, it's a little difficult because although now he does a lot of leading roles, a lot of his movies, he was just kind of the coolest character actor in it. And he played really interesting character actors. I would say, even though I know it doesn't exactly hold up all the way, I still think if I'm putting my Buscemi wall together, I'm putting Reservoir Dogs there. You should watch it. You should watch He's, Mr. He Pink. is great in that. Yes. I'm putting Fargo. Yeah. And I'm probably going to put Con Air too. Like, cause he steals that whole damn fucking I mean, movie. Like, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember the 
fucking. He talks about how he wore someone's head for three states while he drove around in a convertible, yeah. which doesn't make sense, but it's like something a screenwriter wrote down in the 90s was like. He's also in Dead Man a little bit uh, and Desperado, where his character is called Buscemi, which I that's, I appreciate very much. That's probably my favorite thing that fucking Robert Rodriguez has ever done. That's called his character yeah, Buscemi. That's Airheads. I put Airheads oh, on my Airheads. wall. He's so good. Just the end scene where the president, Rex, what are you doing? And he stops humping his bass. Mm-hmm. And the Blu-ray of fucking Boardwalk Empire. It is underrated. I would say that even it is still underrated. It is amazing. It is an amazing... People don't talk about it enough, is in it, my opinion. I would put that up there with The Wire. Because you know yes. what? There is a surprising amount of people who haven't seen The Wire yet. Yes, I know. And I honestly think that's the best TV show ever made. Very close second, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, yeah. And people have not seen those. It's crazy. I understand, like, not everybody wants to Some pay people for don't HBO. Some like crime. Some yeah. people don't like it. I don't like it. I like it when the movie is about a talking fish. I like the way they mix the sex and the violence. <laughs> I think the element that he is often a, a sort of meek, cowardly, paranoid, an erotic criminal, asshole neurotic criminal character a lot is interesting, but... I think that because that's the way people regard him, some of his best stuff, in my opinion, like Con Air and Boardwalk Empire are so powerful is because they circumvent that a little bit. They mess with that. They don't, you think that's how this character is going to be. And it's like, that's not how this character is going to be. This character is going to be quite a bit different than that. This character has a very confident, you know, or the character in Ghost World, you know, that you think he's going to be a creep. You think he's going to be weird. And actually everybody else is a creep. And he's actually like one of the few normal cool people like that everyone just assumes is a creep. Because more than anything, Thor Birch is a creep. It's a very Daniel Klaus thing, though, that like the real creeps are a lot of times the sort of the basic. Oh, my God. He ordered a giant glass of milk. (laughs) Yeah. It's a vanilla milkshake. (laughs) You know, obviously Armageddon is probably overrated but yeah is, uh according but, to carl augustin that's the greatest movie to watch on acid but see there's the problem because like it's when we do our michael bay episode there will be a, a problem which is that a lot of michael bay's movies are supremely watchable they don't do the thing where you're like i gotta turn this off this is stupid you're like i have to I watch it. i have to watch the next thing yeah. now i have to watch the next thing now i have to watch the, it's ne- the thing where it's like oh right. my god i hate this i need to turn it off but, but you, you never do you, you can't because yeah. you have to watch the next thing yeah it has to be i have to watch this next thing also real fast one mm-hmm. of my favorite things see Shemi got like a lifetime achievement award from the gotham awards mm-hmm. and he's up there and he's thanking all these people and he's like i want to thank the cohen's and quentin tarantino and blah 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 yeah. and he goes and jerry bruckheimer and he does this thing where it's like you rub your fingers together and mean money <laughs> thank you for my money thank Jerry. you for my money jerry bruckheimer <laughs> i think about that like once a month also i have to tell this story maybe it's the end of the thing but him and john waters are friends and supposedly him and john waters get mistaken for each other sometimes yes. john waters and, brought that up in Tide hall they one year had christmas cards they sent to each other's families right and they so good. They sent a Christmas card to Waters family with Buscemi dressed up like Waters, and they sent a Christmas card to oh Waters dressed up with Buscemi, like with Buscemi dressed up. And, and, and it's amazing. If do so favor, Google Steve Buscemi, John Waters Christmas cards. They're amazing. They do spookily look like each other a little bit. It's weird. And I would love John Waters and Buscemi to work together. I don't think they have. They haven't. They haven't. But also, John Waters stopped making movies. Yeah, he kind of did. But you know, he's. 
I love John Waters. We'll yeah. do a John Waters episode. Yes, he's, we will. He's the best. He's we the could ever. probably get John Waters. You know, I would. I would if, if I he would thinks we're weird enough. Or John Waters. I would yeah. do anything to talk to John Waters. I don't give a shit. I'll, I'll kiss anything. him. thing. <laughs> so I think that's a pretty good roundup of Mr. Stephen Vincent Buscemi. He is a classic American icon. Yeah. May he live for a million years. May he make... Every single movie, they should put him in the new Star Wars. I don't give a shit. They should put him in anything. I don't think they should put him in Star Wars. I think it might be good then. It might might be a little jarring. It might actually be good. You make him the lead character. He's the Skywalker now. It's not going to work. Oh, I'm into it. You know why? Why? Because it's like, all right, well, that's Steve Buscemi talking to Chewbacca. I'm into it. I'll watch the shit out of that. If you reshot Star Wars with just Steve Buscemi as fucking Han Solo, I'm watching the shit out of that movie. Hey, everybody, that's Blockbuster Film School. We will be back next week. (laughs) I love all of you. Nick, did you have a good time? I did. Brian, did you have a good time? Super producer Brian Tefts? He's giving a thumbs up. Thumbs up. up. And he's slowly removing his shirt. That's nice. And I just want to say- That's a big chest tattoo piece. Yeah. He's got Steve Buscemi tattooed on his chest. He's got Steve Buscemi tattooed on his chest. With With Danny Trejo. That's right. Oh, the Russian devil continues. Uh, Well, everybody, we will be back next week. I love you. Drive your car real fast. Do drugs. Do whatever the fuck you want. We live in a weird timeline. We'll see you next week.